Well, good morning and welcome to Bachelor Creek. I have to let you know, the last few weeks, you know, we've been talking through this Money Talk series and the challenge of living generous lives and pouring our, ourselves out for the sake of God's kingdom. And I have seen generosity exemplified in this church. For example, we collected and, and sent 332 boxes for Operation Christmas Child, which is uh, incredible. Uh, last week, we sent 164 pairs of PJs for the Wabash County Christmas Spirit. Both those numbers are record numbers, and so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for giving, and I can't wait to see how God uses uh, those gifts to impact people's lives. And I'm excited today uh, to begin a new series. It's called The Thrill of Hope. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to look at some of the most famous Christmas songs and explore the major themes behind these songs. And so today, we already sang the song. Today is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And what's interesting is that the words and the music to this song were developed separately. The first documented words to this song were written in Latin in Germany in 1710. Whereas the tune of this song that we're familiar with has its origins in 15th century France. In 1861, John Mason Neal translated the hymn into English, and Christians have been singing it in English ever since. You know, one of the most fascinating parts of having a child is the naming process. It's really incredible when you think about it. Talk about power you get to determine what this person is going to be called for the rest of their life. You get to choose. And so because this is such a big responsibility, uh, Tara and I took the, the naming of our children pretty seriously. We thought a lot about it. We wanted to make sure that, that there was some significance to their names. Now, for the longest time, our, our oldest son was going to be Kale with the C. We both kind of liked the name. But about a month before he was born, I was reading through my Bible, and I was reading the story of Caleb in the book of Numbers, and I just kind of got stopped in my tracks. I was like, this is it. Because Caleb in, in Scripture was someone who, who stood up for his faith when no one around him did, and, and I wanted a son to be bold and, and have faith. And so I shared it with Tara. She was all in. So Caleb it was. Caleb William. William is my middle name. Uh, my grandfather's name was William Cogdell. I never got a chance to meet him. He was an Air Force pilot who was shot down and killed in a search and rescue mission in the Vietnam War. Uh, his birthday was March 15th, the same day as mine. And so we wanted to honor him by giving our son the middle name William. Our daughter, Ellie, we both loved the name, and we loved the spelling E-L-L-E, -L -L -E, the same front words and backwards. It's called a palindrome. Uh, L is the Hebrew name for God. It means strength. It means power. Ellie Renee. Renee is Tara's middle name. It's her mom's, uh, Tara's mom's middle name is Renee, and so there's some, some heritage there. And then our youngest son, Jude, it, it was a last-minute thing. Um, we were both set on Josiah, the, the young king of, of Judah, but, but again, uh, a few weeks before he was born, I was reading through Scripture, and I was reading the New Testament book of Jude, and, and I was just struck by the emphasis on truth and on reaching the lost, qualities that, that I want in my son. 
Jude's middle name is Keith. My grandfather's middle name is Keith. Uh, Tara's grandfather's middle name is Keith. And, and so there's some, some significance, some special heritage there. You find that when, when names have incredible meaning, something can happen. And so our goal, our, our prayer as parents is that at some point in our kids' lives, as they come to think about the, the meaning of their names, they'll understand that, that God has a unique destiny for each one of them, that there is incredible power and potential in the meaning of your name. Now, Thanksgiving's over. We've officially entered into Christmas season. The worship center looks incredible. We bring out our uh, Mariah Carey and Michael Bublé playlist out of the closet. Cookies are in the oven. The Christmas tree is decorated. Clark Griswold's on the TV. But but we all know that the real meaning of Christmas is an event that happened 2,000 years ago when the Son of God came to earth. And we find Mary and Joseph have this incredible opportunity to name the Son of God. They have this opportunity to almost predict what's to come in the Son of God. And of course, we we know that his name is Jesus. But we find this almost nickname or this middle name or this spiritual name that's given 700 years prior by the prophet Isaiah, and it's reiterated in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 23. It says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Of the hundreds of names that God has, this name is drawn out. It's separated. It's exclusive to the Son of God because it's descriptive of him. It's prophetic of him. He's Emmanuel, God with us. So I spent some time this week just meditating on this phrase, God with us. And the word that kept popping out to me was the word right there in the middle, with. With is a powerful notion, and and I don't know if we realize this or not, but it implies togetherness. It implies presence in our life. And if we would take a step back from all of our superficial desires, things like new shoes and new TVs and the best job or the promotion, if we would just step back from that, I think we could realize that with is an incredibly powerful idea in our lives. And let me make the case for it here. When you have a major event or a celebration, the most powerful words that a friend can say is, I'll be there. When you get in trouble or you get in some sort of fight, when when your friend says, I've got your back, it means a lot to you. When, When you're struggling and your friend comes along and says, I'm here for you, it's presence. There's nothing that could be said that's more important than that. When you're at that terrible point in your life and you've lost a loved one and and you're at the funeral and you know that some of the most comforting words that you can hear or you can say is your grandma still lives with you because she lives on through your life. Or your dad or your mom is still with you, they live on through you. Why? Because you don't want to be alone. You you strip all of this stuff away and you are left with this powerful notion that that you don't want to be alone, but you want to be with them. If one of my kids has a nightmare, I, I don't go up into their room and say, listen, you're being completely illogical right now. 
There's not an eight-foot blue monster with one eye in your closet. Stop being irrational. Stop. No, what do I do? I go up and I say, it's okay. It's okay. Daddy's here. See, we come before God and we want exclusively for God to be for us, but he desires ultimately to be with us. God's comfort does not come through his power. God's comfort comes through his presence. And we see in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus is introduced as Emmanuel, God with us. In fact, that name is Matthew's first words and last words about Jesus. We, we see in the first chapter that he is Emmanuel, God with us, and then if we go all the way to the end to Matthew 28, Jesus is quoted by Matthew as saying, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And all of the rest of Matthew's gospel is written to fill in the gaps between chapter 1 and chapter 28, between the first statement and the last statement. All of the rest of Matthew's gospel is written to fill in this idea that there are incredible implications for our life when we understand that God is with us. He is Emmanuel, and he is faithful. God's presence was with the Israelites before this, right? We go all the way back to the garden, and we see Adam and Eve experience the presence of God. And then we see Abraham come along, and God says, I will be with you, and I will make you successful. And then Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and Elijah, and David, and all of these people experience the presence of God. And so Jesus comes along, and he's not just a succession to this idea. Jesus takes God with us to a whole new level. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, the Greek word used here for with is the word pros, and it indicates a, a personal relationship among equals. So it's communicating this idea that, that Jesus has a personal relationship with Almighty God, but that he is on equal status with him. So now we go back to Matthew 1.23 again. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now here in Matthew 1, the, the Greek word used for with is the word meta. It doesn't just indicate personal relationship, but it means in common with. So we see that when Jesus says that he will be with us, he's not just with us in theory, is he? No, he has experienced what we have experienced. He knows what we know. He put on flesh and he suffered and he grew tired and he experienced life. It's the incarnation. God becoming man so that he could be with us, so that he could be in common with us. It's like if you're a nursing student, you don't have to explain long hours and high stress and late night cramming to someone else who's a nursing student. You understand it naturally because you are with them. You relate to them. You understand where they're coming from. If you have a second job, if you have student loans, if you've lost a parent, all of these things, you don't have to explain them to someone else who has gone through those things because they're with you. They have these things in common with you. And Jesus dwells among us to truly be 
with us. Now here's the question that some of us may ask through this, through this series. I'm seeking the presence of God, but I don't feel it. Well, what happens when I seek God's presence? And I love this idea, I want to be surrounded by God's presence, but I don't feel him. You feel like the psalmist who said exactly that. God, where are you? I look for you, I search for you, but I cannot find you. The fact is, the reality is, we can't always feel God's presence. I was talking with some people from church a few weeks ago, and I asked them a simple question. I said, tell me some of those moments in your life where you sense the presence of God closest to you. And so they began sharing some experiences. They began to talk about a, a sense of the peace of God in their life. And, and there was one guy who talked about a season that, that he went through where, where he felt completely alone. But he said he looked back and in hindsight, he realized that when everyone else and everything else had left him, the only thing that sustained him was the presence of God. He didn't realize it at the time, but but now that he's ahead of it, he looks back and, and he sees that, that God did a work that could not have been done at any other point in his life. And here's the thing. We look forward and we look for the expectation of God's promise, of, of his presence, and what do we do? We expect it to happen in very specific ways. We want it to happen with a feeling. We, we, want, it to, to, we want to feel a certain sense of emotion. We we want to have a certain amount of success, and when things don't happen the way that we want them to, we say, where's God? When in fact, God is actually with us. We judge the future very differently than when we turn around and look back at the points of his presence. We, we can't put God in this place where, where we will decide how his presence is manifested in our life before he is with us. St. Augustine said, what then is this God I worship? You are the most hidden from us and yet the most present among us. When you don't feel him, don't doubt him. He is faithful all the time and his agenda is presence in your life. Do you remember the story of Jacob? When Jacob comes along and he doesn't sense the presence of God, he feels like it's gone from him. But God comes to him in a dream, and what he says is, Jacob, I am with you, and I will be with you wherever you go. And Jacob wakes up from this dream, and he shares that classic line that I feel rings true for so many of us. In Genesis 28, 16, he says, surely the Lord was in this place, and I was not aware of it. How many of us are in or around or among the presence of God, but we don't know it? We don't acknowledge it. We don't know it's in front of us. I think the story is this, that God is always with us. He is always present with us, but we are not always present with him. Unfortunately, my son Caleb picked up a gene that I have of selective listening. And so a few weeks ago, we were in the living room and uh, he was playing a video game on his Nintendo Switch and my daughter Ellie was sitting on the couch next to me, and I, and I said to him, I said, hey, Caleb, hey, buddy, and, and he didn't respond. And so I, I speak up a little bit louder. I said, Caleb, hey, hey, buddy, and, and nothing, right? 
And so Ellie's sitting next to me and she starts laughing and it's getting comical. And so I, 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 I crank up the volume a little bit louder. Hey, Caleb, hey, hey. I mean, he's just zoned in. And I'm starting to think like, well, maybe he's lost his hearing. Like maybe he's got some wax built up or something. Like we might need to check this out. And so I try it one more time, but this time I just kind of crank the dial down almost to above a whisper. And I said, hey, Caleb. Hey, mom's going to make some brownies. Do you want some? And he just kind of looks up at me and goes, what, mom's making brownies? I mean, I'm not joking. <laughs> so I think that I was present with him, but he wasn't necessarily present with me. And, and sometimes we find ourselves in this place where, where we're saying, where's the presence of God? But we look in our two little ways and our two little places, and God's three feet in front of us saying, hey, I'm over here. He's trying to get a hold of us, and his presence is with us, but we're not in a place where we can acknowledge the way God wants to speak to us in those moments. In 1 Kings 19, it says that the strong wind came, but, but God wasn't in it. And then the fire came, and God wasn't in it. Then the earthquake came, and God wasn't in it. And then a still, small voice, a gentle whisper came, and God spoke. And I wonder today if God wants to say something very simple to us. I'm with you. I'm here for you. I'm not going to leave you. I am with you always to the very end of the age. And all of us enter the Christmas season with different expectations and different experiences, don't we? Some of us are excited. We're so looking forward to spending time with family. Others of us can't wait to get away from our family. Others of us miss family who are gone. Others don't have much of a family. We all have different expectations and experiences coming into the Christmas season, but here's the deal. In all of our situations, wherever we are, I pray that the promises of Scripture that started all the way back in Genesis and started in Matthew chapter 1 to Matthew 28, this idea that Emmanuel, God is with us, would ring true in our spirits because God is with us in all situations. When we are lonely, he is with us. God is with the suffering. God is with the destitute. God is with those in desperate circumstances. God is with the brokenhearted. God is with the poor. God is with the needy. God is with us in any and every situation and he never leaves us and he cares for us and he loves us. He loves us in a personal way. Don't you love that about God? He is a personal God who loves you today. We see in Genesis chapter one that God comes along and it says that he created the heavens and the earth. It says that he spoke the earth into existence, but then in chapter two, it says that he formed man out of the dirt. He's a hands-on God. He spoke the world into existence, but he formed man with his hands. And then it says that he took that dirt and he breathed into it, and with his breath came our life. We fast forward all the way to Mark 15, and we see that Jesus is up on the cross and the scripture says that, that he breathed his very last breath and with his last breath, we found new life again. 
With that last breath, he became the penalty for our sins so that we can come before a mighty and a holy God so that we can have a relationship with him who lives. And he became Emmanuel, God with us. But guess what? He wasn't just God with us. He was God in common with us. He was God who cares about us. He was God who was with us today, yesterday. He's the God that's with us tomorrow. He's the God that's with us all the way to the very end of the age. He is the God who will never leave us or forsake us. He is a God who loves us and cares for us from the depths of his heart. You see, the presence of God makes a difference in our lives. It makes a difference in our existence. Listen, the presence of God, when, when we can acknowledge God's presence, it has implications for our life. It changes us. And in so many ways this rings true, but let me just share three unique implications that we see in Scripture. First, God with us translates as courage in us. God with us translates as courage in us. I remember my sophomore year in college, I played on the basketball team and we were up in Cincinnati playing a couple of games. And I remember I came running out of the locker room onto the court and I see my dad standing up there in the stands smiling and something happened when I saw him. Uh, there was this jolt of energy. See, I had been in this slump and in, in this funk and, and I was having a tough time with my shot and when I saw him, it was like something just kicked into gear. And I got out there and I played one of the scrappiest games I had played all year. I started knocking down some shots and, and I just got in a whole new rhythm. Felt like the whole season ju just turned for me in that moment. You see, I didn't know he was coming. I didn't know he was gonna be there. But he came down and, and he surprised me in, in the presence. The, the mere understanding of the presence of my father gave me a unique motivation and it gave me a confidence and a courage that I didn't have before. God with us translates as courage in us. Romans 8, 35 through 38 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers. And it goes on to say, nothing can separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ. It's his word. It's his promise. God is with us. And then what happens? Courage is in us. Secondly, God with us translates that fear is gone from us. God with us translates that fear is gone from us. Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Years ago, we had a guy in our college ministry named Roger. And uh, Roger went on a mission trip with us to Puerto Rico. And one of the things that we did in Puerto Rico was we taught Bible classes at the Christian school. And Roger was so nervous to do this because he was afraid of, of being in front of people. He was afraid of, of teaching. And so he said, hey, is, is there anything else I can do? And I encouraged him to do this because I thought it would be good for him. I thought it'd be good for him to be stretched out of his comfort zone a little bit. 
I told him that, that he'd have an assistant, he'd have somebody to, to help brainstorm with him, to lesson plan with him, and so reluctantly he agreed. Well, the night before we began teaching, we were kind of in our room, and, and he was kind of looking over his, his lesson plans, and I could tell that he was anxious. And so I grabbed him, and we walked outside, and we prayed together, and we prayed, Emmanuel, God, you are with us, and in the face of our fears, you give us faith to overcome our fears. I tell you what, he got up the next day, and he taught the Bible to ninth graders, and he did it that, that day, and he did every day for the rest of the week. And one of the highlights of my week was watching him teach every day. We talked often about it afterwards. It was this wonderful opportunity of him stepping out over his fears because God is with us. And after we got back from that mission trip, Roger enrolled in Bible college. And today he's in the Navy. He is strong and he is bold in his faith. Listen, at the beginning, we couldn't get him to start talking and now we can't get him to stop talking. And this is more than just a fear of public speaking. This is just one instance where God helps us overcome this area and then this area and then everything. We're building up and we're taking the next mountain. God with us changes us. God with us is translated that fear is gone from us. Isaiah 41.10, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Number three, God with us translates as his support of us. God with us translates as his support of us. In John chapter eight, Jesus comes upon this scene. There was a woman who was caught in the act of adultery and she stands in front of her accusers. With stones in their hands, they're ready to punish her. They're ready to take her life for the sins that she has committed and the crowd expects Jesus to do the same. But instead of throwing stones, Jesus addresses the men gathered around this woman and says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, the men kind of drop their heads, they drop their stones, and they walk away. After some time, Jesus looks up to the woman and says, woman, where are your accusers? Has anyone condemned you? No one, sir, she replied. He said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. Now Jesus did not condone the woman's sin, but he offered his support. He looked at her and said, I don't care what you've done. It doesn't matter to me what mistakes you've made in your past. I am telling you, I am with you, and I am standing with you. And what was Jesus' reputation? What did the religious leaders call him? They said he was a friend of sinners. And I am so thankful because I'm a sinner. And I need someone who will stand for me when no one else will. I need someone who's not going to leave me when I mess up. And Jesus used his relational capital to stand with those who needed someone to stand with them. And listen, when you find yourself in a troubling circumstance, doesn't it make all the difference in the world when you have someone who will stand there with you? It changes your outlook on the situation, doesn't it? When you have someone standing with you in support of you, it changes things because they shoulder the weight of those circumstances. Jeremiah 15, 20 says, For I am with you to rescue and save you, 
declares the Lord. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3, says, But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God with us translates as his support of us. Let me close with this. John Wesley was a preacher and a theologian. He was a man who started the modern Methodist movement. He had an incredible impact on his generation, but an even greater impact on the following generation and on our generation as well. We owe him a debt of gratitude for his emphasis on holiness and discipleship. He was an incredible man. And at the end of his days, on March 2nd, 1791, he was on his deathbed, and he gathered his closest friends around him. And before he took his final breaths, he said this, Farewell, friends. But the best of all is, God is with us. That's how he ended it right there. The best of all is, God is with us. I love what Charles Spurgeon says and how he preaches out of this one sentence. Let me share it with you. He says, whatever is possible or whatever is impossible, Christians, Christians can do at God's command, for God is with us. Do you not see the word God with us puts impossibility out of all existence? Hearts that can never be broken will be broken if God is with us. Heirs which can never be undone can be overthrown by God is with us. Things impossible with men are possible with God. Charles Spurgeon died with that upon his lips and let us live with that upon our hearts. The best of all is God is with us. Let's pray. God, sometimes the most simple things are the most profound. The fact that you would be with us. We marvel at your transcendence, at your sovereignty, but God, we are amazed at your presence that you would step out of heaven and you would come to earth and that you would live among us, that you would be in common with us, that, that you would be with us. You are Emmanuel, God, with us. We see it in the incarnation. But God, even after you ascended, after your death, burial, and resurrection, when you went to be with the Father, you put your Holy Spirit inside of your followers so that we can hold on to the promise that you are always with us to the very end of the age. And God, I pray that we would live with that reality, that no matter where we go, no matter what we do, you are with us, and it changes us. It emboldens us, it gives us courage, it gives us support. So God, I pray that we would live lives of boldness, we would live lives of courage because you are with us. And Lord, I pray that if, if anybody doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, if, if somebody here does not know that Jesus is, is the Lord and Savior of their life, that they would call upon Jesus. Say, so I accept you as my Lord 
and my Savior. I trust in you. And we accept you as Lord and Savior. When we, when we are buried in the waters of baptism and raised to newness of life, God, you put your Holy Spirit inside of us so that we can know you are with us always. God, strengthen us, embolden us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.